Please open your Bibles to Luke, the ninth chapter. If you're visiting with us, there's an outline of the message so that you can follow along. been going through the book of Luke, and then I realized that there was a verse of Scripture in Luke that could also fit with what we're looking at. Chapter 9, verse 11. During, uh, during our brotherhood breakfast this morning, and by the way, let me put a plug in for that. Men, if you'll come at 7.30 in the morning, you'll receive a great meal and some great inspiration. Kenny Burdett, our brotherhood director, asked the question, where were you and what were you doing when 9-1-1 took place? And so some of us recounted, and of course, we all remembered the events that took place that day, and what have we learned? The title of the message is Lessons Learned from 9-1-1. I want you to just look for a moment at verse 11 and listen to the words of the Lord. The crowds learned about it, it being that Jesus had done, uh, the, had brought the gospel. But it says he had learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Now, folks, since 9-1-1, our nation has needed the Lord and needed His healing. Some and many have turned to Him. Others have gone about business as usual. I want us to look today, though, at the Word of God, and I want us to look at the events that took place ten years ago and see what might be some of the lessons that we've learned since that day ten years ago. Let me just state that most of us can give a testimony. I remember I was in the church parking lot, and a church member uh, pulled up, and she said to me, Brother Chuck, something has happened in New York, and a plane has crashed into one of the buildings there, and I'm really bothered about what's happened. I then called, uh, I went quickly to my office and checked with the secretary, and she said something has happened. I then went home. And like the rest of you, found the television and began to watch in horror and saw the Twin Towers as they began to fall. From that day on, everything changed. The whole world changed. Our nation changed. Churches changed. We all re-examined our lives and we said, what is going on? Tell us who has done this. And then many of us said, Lord, what are you trying to say to us? What is the lesson that we can learn from this? So let's go through these very quickly. First of all, I believe that one of the lessons that we can learn from 911 is, first of all, that the enemy never stops. The enemy never stops. There's a spiritual lesson to learn there as well. We had been given warnings that the enemy was going to do something, but I, I didn't pay any attention. And I, and I represent a lot of people, I think, saying, well, what's over there is going to stay over there. Even though there had been a world trade center bombing ten years or approximately ten years earlier, most of us felt like everything was safe and secure, not realizing that night and day there was an enemy that we didn't know who they were, we weren't familiar with. There was a group of people who hated America, hated Christianity, and hated everything that we stood for. They never stopped. They continued their war. There's a spiritual parallel. Spiritual parallel is this. The enemy never stops. Bible says beware and be on the alert that your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. And it's in the moment when we feel like everything is safe and secure, when we're resting in our own security. Now, are you hearing me here? Are you hearing me? When we are resting in our own security, when we are resting in our own strength, that we are the most vulnerable to his attacks. 
the greatest enemy that we face today, both in America and the greatest enemy we face in our own spiritual life, is passivity. Passivity is this psychological drug that says, don't worry, everything's going to be good, everything is going to be safe. Little did we realize that the enemy was not going to stop. Let me just read to you what the 911 Commission wrote several years after investigating 911. Here's what their conclusion was. They said that 19 hijackers had boarded four airliners, and here's the quote. They had defeated all the security layers that America's civil aviation security systems had in place. They were able to defeat all that. And they turned four transcontinental flights laden with jet fuel and and turned them into guided missiles that killed almost 3,000, I believe the number is 2,997 people. The dead included 343 firefighters, 60 police officers, and 55 military personnel. The enemy never stops. As Christians, we've got to remember, the enemy never stops. You don't have the right, folks, you don't have the right to a spiritual vacation. You just don't have the luxury of saying, I'm okay, I'm going to go and live my own life without the Lord and think that your life can be protected because the enemy never stops. The second thing is this. Weakness is, expo- weakness is exposed during times of attacks. Have you ever said this, well, I, I wasn't myself and that's why I said the things that I said or I did the things that I did? No, actually, during times of attack, it shows our weakness and shows us where we really are. Weaknesses are exposed during times of attack. The Twin Towers that were built were designed by the smartest minds in the world to withstand earthquakes, hurricanes, and anything else except one thing that no one had ever thought about, and that was jet fuel. No one knew, not even the attackers knew, the damage that could be done. A friend of mine who is a structural engineer in Jackson, Tennessee, said that he was in his uh, uh, office along with other engineers, and they were watching, and they said, oh, that that building will not fall. The engineers were saying, that building will not fall, but he... The structural engineer said, no one has ever counted on jet fuel. And if my calculations are correct, the heat of jet fuel will be hot enough to melt those beans and specifically the, uh, I call them bolts, that's not the right word, but whatever ties them all together, he said the fuel and the heat from that will be enough to cause those beans to fall apart. And sure enough, that weakness was exposed. You know, Scripture tells us this. If any man thinks he is strong, take heed lest he fall. None of us is strong enough to attack any, uh, to withstand any of the attacks that the enemy will throw at us. Our weaknesses will be exposed and we can do one of two things. We can say, oh, I shouldn't be that way. Or we can cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, give me your strength because during this time of attack, I am too weak. The third lesson that we need to understand is this. Evil cannot be negotiated with. Evil cannot be negotiated with. For years, some had tried to placate and some had tried to negotiate and work with and some even today want to negotiate with evil, those who are, quote, against us. But Scripture states very plainly that there is only one way to deal with evil. 
first of all, the way you deal with evil is with the Word of God. The second way that you deal with evil is you turn to the Lord. You never negotiate. When the first sin happened in the Garden of Eden, well, in essence, what, what was Eve doing? What was Adam doing? They were trying to negotiate with the serpent. He was saying, the serpent was saying, look, I'm not that bad. God's not that good. You're not where you need to be. There's a better place for you. And he was trying to negotiate with them. They were, they were, they were listening from a point of innocence. But the devil was speaking to them from a point of evil. He was speaking to them in order to bring destruction into their lives. Uh, our nation, I think, has woken up to the fact and starting to wake up to the fact that evil cannot be negotiated with. I'm thankful so much for our troops and how that they have stood against the attacks that have come our way and are doing their work to try and go against and deal with evil in the only way that it can be dealt with. As far as believers, what do we do? The Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. You resist the devil by turning to the Lord. The Bible says, submit yourself to the Lord, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You don't ever negotiate, say, well, you know, I believe that I can go ahead and I can go over into this point of darkness for a while. I can be friends I can be friends and I can dialogue with these who are, are of the enemy. Folks, listen. We don't need to negotiate with the enemy. We don't need to go into his darkness and try and bring understanding. We need to be children of the light and walk in the light as he is in the light. I don't, listen, I don't need to walk in darkness to understand that I'm going to fall on my face. I don't need to experience it firsthand. I already know I'm going to do it. So there's no need of me, quote, getting the experience. I want to walk in the light as He is in the light because it's much safer and better there. Evil cannot be negotiated with. The fourth thing is this. The greatest darkness, times of greatest darkness, can bring the greatest light. Have you noticed that today... During the times of celebration and remember, not, not really celebrating, but remembering 911, that the focus has been on the light that is to come from ground zero. Jesus said this, I am the light. He that walks in me will never walk in darkness again. Jesus is the light. And therefore, the times of greatest darkness can bring the greatest light. We saw ten years ago how that people came together. We saw how that people said, let's, let's put our differences aside and let's look for the greater good. We saw how that people said, let's not do business as usual anymore. Let's gain a greater understanding of what it means to be Americans. Let's, let's do a greater job of being Christians and bringing light. Uh, events that surrounded that day tell us that people poured in. And those who came as chaplains from Tennessee... And from the south, give reports of how that when they went up north, the normal uh, kind of maybe barriers that might have been there were no longer there as chaplains and first responders and others came to help. Arms were open, open and people were saying, please come and help us with the grief. Please come and help us as we pray for the families who have lost loved ones. Please come and bring the Word of God to us. Please come and bring some hope because right now we don't feel like there's any hope. <clears throat> there was the openness that was there. The testimony that is not being told is this. That Now listen closely, because you're not going to hear this very often. 
You're certainly not going to hear it from the news media. There, in New York City right now, there are more churches now than there were ten years ago. As far as Baptists go, I can't speak for other denominations, we have had more church starts in New York City and the surrounding area than in the last ten years than we had in the last 25 years. There is a greater openness, there is a greater willingness to hear the gospel, and so the work of the gospel is going forward in a greater way than it had before. The greatest darkness, the time of greatest tragedy can bring the greatest light. Now, the fifth thing to see here, I think the greatest lesson is vigilance never stops. Vigilance never stops. We always have to be ready. Our men here, I would ask you, have they ever, have they ever said, okay, everything's fine, y'all can relax, and since 911, no, it's always be alert. None of us know when any attack is going to come. And so it is in our nation, so it is for us as individuals, we need to be alert. Men, as men of the house, you always need to be alert to the spiritual dangers that are going to attack your home. As pastors and leaders in the church, we need to always be alert to the spiritual danger that will attack our church. Teachers need to be alert that for, to the classes that you teach because of the attacks that are against the families and the children that are in our church. We need to be alert. You may say, Brother Chuck, why do we always have to be alert? Because, as I said at the beginning, the enemy never stops. When do we rest? I'll tell you when we rest. We rest in heaven. Amen? <laughs> That's when we rest at the river. We'll rest around the throne room of God. But until then, we are aware, we are alert, and we are in prayer, and we are seeking the Lord. But vigilance in spiritual matters, just like in safety matters, never stops. Now, what is to be our response? Our response is to be this. What is, first of all, have faith, not fear. Have faith, not fear. I've chosen, I believe, three passages of Scripture that end with 911. Look what it says in Proverbs 911. For through me your days will be many and years will be added to your life. Ten years ago, did you feel like the world was coming to an end? I almost did. The days of a num uh, were numbered for America. But the Bible tells us in Proverbs that when we trust in the Lord, our days will be many and years will be added to our life. We're to have faith, not fear. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and of strength and a sound mind. So we're to have faith. Faith is not looking at the evidence and saying, that's all that there is. Faith is saying, God has more than I can see right now, and I'm going to trust in Him. My fears will control me. And I don't want to be controlled by my fears. I want to be controlled by the Lord. Many gave the testimony like I did. I was afraid. Dear God, what else is going to happen? When, when's going to be the next plane crash? Not only the Lord knew, but I had to trust in Him. We have to have faith in the Lord and not give way to our fears. The second thing is this. Our next response is to be where to pray and not panic. When... The heart comes up into the throat when the sweat comes out on the palms, when, when it seems like the head's about to explode with panic just driving through our bodies. That's not a time to turn and run. That's a time to fall to our knees and say, Lord, I need you. I call on you. Look what it says in Psalm 91.1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High 
will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. The testimony from that day was I have a nephew. Actually, he's a nephew-in-law, nephew by, by uh, marriage. He and his wife, my niece, were living in New York at that day, and he was about a, he said he was about uh, a half a mile, working a half mile from ground zero when it happened. And the only thing he knew when they began to say, everybody get out, run, it's exactly what he did. He said, I ran. He said, there I was. I was wearing a suit and tie and floorsome shoes, and I was running. He said, I was running home to my family. I didn't know what to expect. That's, that's, an, that's exactly what we want to do. But if we do run, where do we run? We run to the Lord. We run to Him, and we cry out and say, Lord, the world seems to be coming to an end, but I run to Your arms, and I go under Your shelter, and I go into Your shadow, and I trust in the name of the Lord and no one else. We pray and don't panic. The last thing is this. We offer praise instead of bitterness. I want you to look at Psalm 9-1-1, verse 12. But if you can, hold back on verse 12. Sing praises to the Lord enthroned in Zion. Proclaim among the nations what He has done. That's verse 11. Stop there. Look at me. Isn't that a great verse for singing and giving praise to God? Don't you just love that? I mean, that would make any call director happy, right? Amen. Now, let's go ahead. And I want you to know that a lot of people don't read their Bible, and they especially don't read the Old Testament. I want you to see what verse 12 says. Sing praise to the God. God, you are mighty, you are powerful, you are great. Why? For he who avenges blood remembers. He does not ignore the cry of the afflicted. God is not deaf to the ear of those who cry to him. God is not silent to those who are pleading his name. He is not ignoring the call of any of us who need him. Oftentimes we say, Lord, I worship you, but we don't know that God is responding to that worship. So we worship the Lord. Here's why. Not in anger and bitter, not, uh, we don't come to Him for any other reason but to say, Lord, we worship you because you're greater than anyone that we can imagine or adore and think of in our own lives. But we worship you, Lord, right now. And part of that worship is saying, Lord, you are the avenger of those who take innocent blood, you will not ignore the cry of the afflicted. That's one reason why we can worship the Lord. Oftentimes we want to take matters into our own hands. Didn't you want to do something ten years ago? Sure you did. And we ought to do those things that are smart and reasonable, and I believe our nation took the action it should have. But, didn't you want to take things personally into your own hands? When you can't do anything about a situation, what you have to do is this. Lord, I worship you and I call upon you because you are the avenger of those who take innocent blood and you do not ignore the cry of the afflicted. We turn this over to you. The Bible says that judgment, that God is the one who will avenge that. We have to trust Him in His time and in His way. So, here are the lessons. The enemy never stops. Our weaknesses will be exposed during times of attack. You, can't, you cannot. Parents, listen. With your kids, teenagers, children, 
You especially, you cannot negotiate with evil. Cannot associate with it. You cannot play with it. The greatest darkness brings the greatest light. And we always have to be alert. Now, if you're here today without Christ, the greatest thing that you can do right now for the protection of your soul, your family, and the greatest thing you can do to contribute to this community is, first of all, to give your heart to Jesus. You'll, you'll make a better dad. You'll be a better child in your family. You'll be saved, and you'll know Christ as your Savior. And if the Lord is speaking to your heart about giving your heart to Christ, now's the day to...